I've got down at 6.30 on the dot. I don't know what y'all have. Actually, my phone says 6.29, so I guess my watch looks a little sooner than another one. All right, so George says it's 6.30, so we're good to go. I want to welcome you to Dalrada tonight. We are so excited to uh, be able to join together tonight as we open up our Bibles and we study God's Word. Uh, we are concluding a six-week special short series uh, on the plan of salvation, or as I've titled this, God's gift of salvation. And we have been able to go through and look at the different um, steps of salvation, as some people usually talk about it being, uh, the different principles of salvation as you go through what is required for salvation. And I've enjoyed the study. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. We, uh, I will say, as we are planning going down the road with regard to the auditorium classes, especially on Wednesday night, we're probably going to go more towards some of these shorter series uh, to purposefully look at some of the more uh, concise lesson series. And uh, so you may have more of those on Wednesday nights in here just to let you know. Next uh, quarter, I say quarter, it's not even quarter. The next series is going to be the next six weeks. Doug Schofield is going to delve into the... Uh, do you know my Jesus? And it's going to get into really a lot of the Christian evidence of Jesus Christ, who he was, how we know who he was, and how we can be assured of that. Uh, looking at everything from the prophecy into his birth. Uh, not really looking at his teachings specifically. I'm sure Doug may get into some of that possibly in passing, but that's not the point of the, of the series. Um, and so we're kind of going backwards. It's kind of interesting. We didn't necessarily plan it that way, but we've been talking about how you learn about Jesus and how you go through the this the scheme of redemption, these steps of salvation. And of course, part of that's knowing who Jesus is. Sometimes it takes a little bit of a deeper dive into who Jesus is for people to understand and believe in Jesus and to uh, have that calm assurance to be able to move forward in this progress going toward uh, grabbing a hold of God's gift of salvation. And that's kind of what this next class is supposed to be for is a little deeper of a study of looking at who Jesus is and how we can prove who Jesus was uh, and looking at both the Bible as well as historical references as well. So I would encourage you to uh, come back next Wednesday night and start that series and that study with Doug. Uh, perhaps, perhaps you go to another class and that's fine as well. We want to encourage Bible study wherever you go, but if you go somewhere else, these of course will always be online on the YouTube, uh, our YouTube channel or on our website. And I've tried to create an audio podcast for them. So if you drive and want to listen to them or you work in the field or whatever it might be and you want to listen to an audio podcast, you can subscribe to that and get each new lesson. So look for those. I don't know of many other announcements tonight. I know Billy's got a couple he'll make during our devotional time period, so I'll leave those for him right now. Uh, I know my dad's back in the country. I haven't yet to see him. Um, so I just got back in the uh, – we flew back in late last night. I chaperoned, there's 43 of us, we went, uh, went with ACA and took an 8th grade trip up to the Philadelphia area and um, enjoyed that trip with Marley and her classmates, uh, it was a good trip. Dad flew back on Monday though, so by the time I got home late last night, I wasn't able to see him, so he's somewhere around here, but uh, I'm glad he and I'm assuming Gift made it back safely as well, I didn't check with him because I was on that trip, but my understanding is everybody made it safely back, Brother Perry made it back. And uh, 
So I'm excited to hear the news from their trip to Ukraine <clears throat> and the updates that they've been given, not just the reports while they were there, but maybe that they'll get to us since they're back with us. So continue to pray for the Ukrainians. Uh, as you know, if you've been following, there was a new round of bombing this week in Kiev area. And uh, so there's still that fear there as to what's going to happen. Uh, so continue to keep our brethren there in your prayers. Any other prayer requests or announcements tonight before we begin? Miss Virginia. Okay. Miss Becky Rhodes, who is dealing with cancer, and uh, she is not doing well, is what Miss Virginia says. So please keep her in your prayers as she deals with that, that the pain's not there, and that she's able to deal with this. Any others? All right, let's start off class with a word of prayer. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, our great God Almighty, we are so thankful for you and for all that you blessed us with in our lives. God, we're thankful that we're able to approach you, that we are able to talk to you, and we are thankful that you listen and hear us as we pray. God, tonight we pray especially for Miss Becky as she is dealing with her cancer, and, and God, we know that there's not much else we can do on this earth with regard to that cancer, and we just ask that you please be with her, be with her family. Uh, please help them, to uh, both Tommy and Becky, to be able to deal with this as they go through uh, the impact and the effects of this cancer on her body. God, give her the strength to be able to endure this and help her to enjoy these days and, and uh, the months that she has uh, to be able to enjoy this wonderful creation that you've given to her. God, we ask you to help us to reach out to her, not only with our prayers to you for her, but also that we try to see what we can do to check on her and let her know that we are praying and thinking about her. And God, we ask that you just shower her with your blessings, with your grace, with your love, especially as she sees it through us, and that you allow us to be able to be your hands and feet on this earth. God, we are thankful as we have seen the rain come today and all the wonderful things that we have in your nature. We're thankful for the world that you created for us. And God, we ask that you continue to Bless this earth as it provides for us. Help it to be able to sustain our lives and, and do the things that you have uh, set it in course to do. God, we are thankful for the many blessings that we have uh, in this world. God, we're thankful for our families. We're thankful for our church family. Uh, we ask that you please continue to watch over us, especially here at Dalreda, as we gather together and work together on this earth to encourage one another as we teach and preach, and as we think about living a faithful life here on this earth, that we know how important it is to be a part of a church body and a church family as we go through the, the days we have numbered here on earth. God, we thank you most of all for Jesus. And God, if we've learned anything through this study, we realize just how wonderful and what a blessing, what a great gift it was for Jesus to come and die for us. And God, may those that listen May those that study with us during the course of this study turn to your word and see how important it is to obey your commands and to do your will on this earth. God, be with us tonight as we finish out this series, as we think about living faithfully in our lives as Christians, that we are all challenged to do more and to be better and to continue to, to work as we can to live faithfully each and every day for you because of your sacrifice for us. God, thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you so much for Jesus, for his body, for his blood, for his death on that cross. And it's through his name we pray. Amen.
As we talked about the gift of salvation that God has blessed us with in our lives, we have gone through the, the different things that the scriptures have kind of prescribed for us with regard to what is necessary to be done. And again, if you'll remember, Jesus himself said that in order for us to attain salvation, we must do the will of God. And so there are certain things for us to accomplish. Not that we're earning our salvation. And again, there's I understand the world seems to con conflate those two terms with regard to earning and the idea of doing something. But in the Bible, it's very specific that there are certain things that we do, not because we are trying to earn our salvation, but we do them because we've been told to do them. And that's what we've seen as the Scriptures unfold with regard to hearing the Word of God. It is necessary. It is absolutely essential for us to hear the Word of God, to understand who God is, that He sent His Son Jesus to die for us and for our sins on the cross of Calvary, and that only by the contact of His blood, the only way we can attain salvation is to be able to touch that blood of Jesus and literally clothe ourselves with Christ. This is some of the passages that we talked about last week in our study of baptism. Thinking about it, we've got to hear all those things though. We can't act upon them. We can't follow them if we don't hear about them. So it's absolutely essential for us to hear things. And of course, on the opposite side, it's absolutely essential for us to go out and preach and teach those things to others. And as we think about living faithfully, we're going to get into that a little bit tonight. But you think there's two parts, two sides, so to speak, of that coin of hearing, isn't there? There's the hearing, and there's the one that's doing the speaking. And you understand that, that someone has to teach, someone has to speak, or as, as Romans chapter 10 talks about, someone has to be sent in order for someone to be able to hear the Word of God. It's absolutely essential and important for us to preach and to teach so that those who are not saved, those who have not accepted God's gift of salvation, can hear the Word of God proclaimed. We've got to believe the Word of God. And that belief is the same word, it's the same substance as we talked about in that lesson uh, of the idea of faith and developing a faith in our life. That believing is much more than just saying, oh, I believe a fact to be true, but it's an active belief, it's an action, it's, it's a believing faith, so to speak, that you are actually taking action because of. It's motivational it's inspirational to you as an individual because you have heard that Word of God and because you believe it, you're going to want to do something about it because you truly believe it. And that rolls right into the idea of repentance. Repentance is absolutely necessary. Jesus Himself said, Luke 13, verse 3, unless you repent, you will perish. I don't think there's many other options there, right? I don't see a lot of gray area with regard to that. And if you look, there's all kinds of examples throughout the New Testament, whether it's John speaking to those who he baptized, saying, hey, in order for me to baptize you, I want you to show fruits of repentance, is what he said. To Jesus going out and teaching and preaching the idea and concept of repentance for the remission of sins, just like John did as well. And the idea of repentance is a change of heart leading to a change in mind and action. And so repentance is absolutely necessary. Paul, uh, Peter himself on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, said that there were two things that he said there that we read in the Scriptures. Whenever they heard... They heard the Word of God as Peter proclaimed it there and the other 11 stood up with him. They all were proclaiming the, the gospel message there, talking about the fact that Jesus had come, that Jesus sacrificed himself, that they had sacrificed Jesus on the cross of Calvary. They were convicted. They were pricked to the heart. What does that mean? That means that they believed, by the way. It didn't necessarily say they believed, did it? But we know they believed because they were pricked to the heart, it says. And they took action in Acts chapter 2, verse 
37, asking, what shall we do? They realized that they had to do something. They had to make some kind of a change. And that's why Peter then said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. He said, you've got to repent. You've got to change your life from the course that you are on because you are going away from God. God gives you this free gift of salvation. He's holding it there. He's holding it outstretched with His arms. But you must go toward Him. If you are living in sin, you're going away from Him. Because as we talked about, sin divides you from God. And so in order for you to turn around, you've got to understand, I've got to repent my life. I've got to change my life and go toward God instead of away from Him. And not only that, we've got to understand the the concept of confession. Confession is a, a huge thing for us to understand because the Scripture says in, in that if, if we confess Jesus before men, He will confess us before His Father. That's pretty big, isn't it? If we're wanting to have our name in that book of life that, that, that Jesus reads from there on that day of judgment, the, the concept is that we've got to confess Jesus here so He'll confess us to the Father. Confession is absolutely necessary and essential. We talked about the other scriptures. I'm not going to get into all of them again tonight. We talked about last week how baptism is essential. So many of our religious friends try to, to go around arguments with regard to how essential baptism is, and they get into uh, different discussions and arguments as to what, what actually the purpose of baptism is. Well, we got into the purpose of baptism last week. I'm not going to rehash the whole lesson again Uh, Go back and listen to it again if you want to with regard to what the purpose of baptism is. But baptism is, is, is number one, a full immersion into the water for the remission of our sins. It's not necessarily just to join some congregation. So when you move somewhere, you don't just get baptized and say, hey, I'm a part of this church. That has nothing to do with it. Jesus adds you to the church when you're baptized for the remission of your sins. God's addition is what matters. You don't get baptized just to be a part of a church necessarily. When you are baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you are added to the church, is the way that the, the, the book of Acts phrases it there. that On the day of Pentecost, there were 5,000 men that were added to the Lord's church. Acts chapter 3, you keep going on after Peter preached that second sermon, there were 2,000 more. Continue to add and grow. And they were added to the church daily. Is the way the Scriptures talk about it. It's not added to just a local church body or some religious belief. You are baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and the ultimate result of that is not just the washing away of your sins, but also you are added by God to His church, to His body, because you put Christ on in baptism. And today, as we think about our sixth and final lesson of this series, the concept is is that in order for you to be saved, that you've got to understand that it's not just ending at baptism. And you go around the world today and you'll see so many different uh, opinions with regard to this. But the Scriptures clearly talk about the essential nature of what it means to stay faithful in our Christian lives. Throughout the Reformation movement, there was a lot of discussion with regard to this. And a man by the name of John Calvin came up with the five points of Calvinism. I'm not going to get into the five points of Calvinism. That's another whole lesson series probably in and of itself. Uh, But it's usually portrayed by the acronym of TULIP. And so I don't don't want to get into dissect that, but look it up. You can Google it. You can find out those different five points. But part of his Calvinism theology, now of course he didn't call it Calvinism himself. Uh, In fact, he adopted it from Augustine. Uh, A lot of the, the points that were made, maybe not all of them in the exact same way, 
But as he developed this Calvinism that we now call it, one of the points of Calvinism was the idea of preservation of the saints. Preservation of the saints is the way it's usually worded. That's the, by the way, the P of TULIP. That's what it stands for, that acronym there, preservation of the saints. The preservation of the saints, of course, is a concept of where once you become a Christian, there is nothing that can take you away. There is nothing that you will do. There is nothing that you can uh, commit or say that would actually take you away from that salvation. So again, it becomes ultimately something we usually think of as once saved, always saved. Y'all ever heard that phrase? That's the same thing, synonymous with preservation of the saints. Because the concept that Calvin began teaching and adopting from the earlier teachings of Augustine is that uh, once a, a person is truly converted, there is no way for them to then be grasped and taken away from that grasp of God. And again, that gets into the other points of Calvinism. Again, I don't, I don't want to get into Tulip with regard to all the, the idea of total depravity and unconditional election and those kind of things. But the concept with Calvinism was is that there was an elected group of individuals that God said, these are the ones that are going to be the saved ones. And then in order for you to know that you're going to be saved is that some miraculous Holy Spiritual uh, experience had to occur in order for you to know that you're one of the elect. And that if that experience occurred, then you were your minds and and your options were then opened up for you to become part of the saved. And when you uh, were part of the saved, then there's nothing that could be taken away from you. Again, there's a lot of issues and a lot of problems. I don't have time to get into all that tonight, but the, the last concept is the one that I wanted to point out to you. Here's a, an excerpt from uh, John Calvin's commentary on 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. I don't, yeah, you can read it pretty good. All right, it says, The power of the Spirit is so effectual that it necessarily retains us in continual obedience to righteousness. The Spirit continues His grace in us to the last, so that inflexible perseverance is added to newness of life. Now again, there's a twisting of the Scriptures, that I would say, that Calvin took as he explored and he, he thought about the idea of salvation where he said, when we arise in that newness of life, if we have been truly converted, if we have been truly saved, then there's going to be this inflexible perseverance that's added to your newness of life, that new life that you live. And again, inflexible perseverance means that nothing's going to squash it. Nothing's going to, going to stop that perseverance. And that because of the Spirit that's inside of you, you will not have to worry about your election being taken away from you. And again, it, it transformed into this concept that we hear sometimes among some of our religious brethren is the idea of once saved, always saved. And so really what it gets down to is it attacks the sixth piece of that puzzle that I spoke about a moment ago of living a faithful life. Because if you're once saved, always saved, what does that necessarily mean? That means it doesn't matter what you do after you become a Christian. If you are actually part of the elect, that's all that matters. You are saved. So no matter what you're going to do, that election is going to be assured. And so you can make mistakes, you can do all kinds of other things, but your salvation is going to be sure. Well, unfortunately, there are multiple scriptures that talk about this passage that in fact says that not, once saved is not always saved in life. We can, we can lose our salvation. Now let's look at our metaphor we've been talking about is the idea of the box, right? The gift that God's given to us. Here's your gift of salvation. We have embraced it 
if we have gone through these first five steps, these first five principles of salvation that we've spoken about, that we've, we've heard, we, we believe, we've repented, we've confessed, we have been baptized in the water for the forgiveness of our sins, we have grabbed a hold of that salvation that God has offered to us by our actions and by those things which we have done. We have done the will of the Father. That's the way the Scriptures read, right? In order for us to have salvation, we must do God's will. We have done those things which God says are necessary for salvation. We have grabbed a hold. We have attained salvation. But as you think about this metaphor as it continues, is there any point in time where that gift can be lost? Is there any point in time uh, where that gift could be dropped or left behind? And the Scriptures say there is. There's no doubt that just because a, a, a faithful person has gone through the plan of salvation doesn't mean they're always going to be saved. It does not mean they will automatically go to heaven when they die. Why? Because the Scriptures speak time and time again about how important it is to remain faithful. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14 is commonly used as an example or as an argument for once saved, always saved. But when you look at the other combination of the other scriptures, you can't help but see that there's so much more that goes against what the, the twisting and the, the thwarting of that scripture uh, is sometimes. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, just for your edification, tonight reads, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is giving as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. And so the argument becomes, is that, oh, the, the Calvinist theology is going to be that, oh, we are sealed with Him in this Holy Spirit of promise. And so because God has sealed us in that, that that seal cannot be removed. Well, the problem is when you look at other scriptures, other scriptures when you put together with those, Directly refuted. Again, remember that verse we talked about last week and a couple weeks, uh, two weeks ago, we also talked about the, the sum of thy word is truth, is what the Psalms writer says. We've got to look at all the passages of Scripture. We've got to look at all of it to understand the full truth and message given to us by God. So look at some other passages of Scriptures because what we're going to see is that ultimately faithfulness is essential. If we fail to remain faithful to the Lord, then that failure of us remaining faithful it means that we can be lost. Look real quickly with me, a couple of passages. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. It says, You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Now again, contextually there, look at the passage of Scripture there. Galatians chapter 5 was written to Christians. They have gone through the requirements with regard to salvation. They have attained that wonderful Sacred gift by God. But Paul tells them here, you have been severed by Christ. Why? Because they were trying to follow after the pursuits of the law. That's the Jewish law, by the way, not the law of man necessarily that we think of the law uh, today. But when Paul's talking about you are who seeking to be justified by the law, Paul said, hey, that's not what it's all about. And because you're seeking to be justified by the law, what does he say? You have fallen from grace. Yes, God is a God of grace. That is that unmerited favor that God pours out on us. We don't deserve it. We can't repay Him for it. There's no way we can earn it. God's grace falls on us, but you know, we can fall from that grace and fall away from that grace when we seek those pursuits which are not in accordance with the will of God. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4-6 through 6 says this, 
We're in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Here, those who have become Christians. That's what verse 4 is saying. In the case of those who have once been enlightened, those who, who, who follow the plan of salvation and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and, and then have what? Fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. The Hebrew writer here says, you can fall away from the faith. There is no once saved, always saved. You who once were enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. The gift what? What's that heavenly gift? The gift of salvation. You have tasted it. You've partaken of that gift. You've been partakers of the Holy Spirit. What happens once you become a Christian? We're not going to get into the implications of that necessarily here. But part of the blessings that we receive as a Christian is that we have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And again, I've taught a whole quarter on that and didn't touch the hem of the garment with regard to the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit dwells in us as Christians. But that's one of the wonderful blessings that we have when we follow God's plan. We do the will of God and we have that gift of salvation. These people did that. They had been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. They tasted the good word of God and the powers of the ages to come. They had even miraculous abilities, it seems to be here. That power. They had the power of Scripture. That same power we have today, right? Romans chapter 1. The gospel is God's power, that dynamite. They had that. And what does it say here? And they then have fallen away. I don't know how you argue with Scripture here. He's talking to Christians. He's talking about Christians. And he's talking about the fact that they fell away from the faith. And it says here that it's going to be impossible to renew again them to repentance since they again crucified of themselves the Son of God and put, them, put Him to open shame. Titus chapter 2, verses 11-12. through 12. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. Okay, that's what we've been talking about, right? The, the God's gift of salvation that comes because of God's wonderful grace that He has given to us. By grace we have been saved, right? Through faith in Jesus. So, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. All right, so he's talking to Christians here. Paul is actually talking to Titus specifically as a young preacher of what to preach and teach. And he's saying, hey, you've got to live a faithful life. You don't have a choice in the matter. You can't just do what you want to do once you become saved. You're not once saved, always saved. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, it says there, Peter says, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Can a Christian fall away? Yes. Why else would Peter use the Proverbs here of a dog returning to its... Have you ever seen a dog return to its... I have. 
It's disgusting. And there are times when I went out and tried to tell my dogs to get away from your own vomit because it just disgusted me to even see them doing it in my backyard. I know they're dogs. I know that's what they do. But Wayne, it's just something that just seemed disgusting to me. And I thought, dog, you should know better than this. But they literally throw up the food that they have eaten and go back over and lick it back up again and take it inside themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that, I definitely would not be game for that as a human, I know. But that is true. It's a proverb because it's a proverb trying to tell us that there is an example that we can see here. It's the idea of, of being worse off when you go back. The, the, the sow, uh, the pig, after washing returns to wallow in the mire. You know, I think it doesn't make a lot of sense to even wash a pig. Every time that I've ever seen any videos, and I've seen some videos on YouTube, and my kids watch some strange like animal videos sometimes about this just because they're interested in animals and things like that, you know, we watch. Um, all decent stuff, I promise. Um, but the idea of, of a pig, you wash the pig, and the pig actually goes back and wallows right back in the mud where it came out of. It's like, why in the world did I just waste my time, waste the water, waste my energy, waste the soap on this pig because the pig doesn't care. It'd rather just go be dirty again. And what Peter's saying is that's just like a Christian who has been washed clean by the blood of Christ, that has, has had his sins washed away, and she has turned her back against sin. And then all of a sudden just says, you know, I'm going to go back. And what Peter says is that not only can they fall away, but what does it say there, Wayne? It says that you're going to be worse off in that second state than you were before. I don't get into arguments about the different levels of punishment and and, and condemnation in hell. But by the way, this is a good argument for it here. Because those who are Christians and then turn themselves on Jesus Christ, and they turn their backs on God and go back to the world, they have been overcome. They have escaped the defilements and they go back to those defilements. They get entangled, as way Peter says. They been, become entangled in them again and overcome. They're worse than they were to begin with. It said, in fact, verse 21 says, it would have been better for them not to have even known the way of righteousness. That's pretty stout and strong, isn't it? It would have been better off if you did not even become a Christian if you're not going to stick with it. That's what Peter says. Because it's not once saved, always saved. It's, I, I'm saved and now I've got to live the life like God wants me to. See, once you become a Christian, that doesn't mean that your sin doesn't block you away from God. Sin is sin. And if we get pulled into those and we get entangled in that sin, we become overcome with that sin, that sin is going to separate us from our God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14-15. through 15. Here Peter gives us another good example and passage here. Talking about living a Christian life life, a faithful life. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some very hard things to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, brethren, Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men 
and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. James chapter 5, verses 19-20. through 20, It says there, My brethren, if any of you any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, who is James writing to here? He's not writing to people who are not Christians. He's writing to Christians. And he says, Christians, if any of among you stray from the truth, someone else turns him back, let him know the one who turns that sinner. By the way, that sinner is going to be a Christian sinner. The one who turns that sinner back from the error of his way will save his soul from what? Death. We are not once saved, always saved. The Scriptures do not teach that once you become a Christian, you do not need to worry any longer about being faithful or doing the will of God. You cannot find one Scripture that allows us as a Christian to turn our backs on the very God who gave His Son to die on the cross for our sins. Because what God does say is that when we turn back into this world after we have known the righteousness, we are no better than a dog returning to His mom. What God does say is that if we are a Christian, we have changed our lives, we have gotten away from those entanglements, but we go back to them, we are no better than a, a pig who goes right back to the mud after being cleansed. And what God does say is that if we don't save ourselves, if the sinner does not change his way, if the sinner is not turned from the error of his way, he's going to hell. He will die spiritually. That's what the Scripture says. It does not give us the approval to do whatever we want to do. In our lives, God wants us to live and remain faithful. In the scriptures, there's some scriptures that talk about remaining faithful to God. One of the first ones that we always seem to turn to is Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. I, I love the book of Revelation, and you think about all of the prophecies and the examples given there. The overwhelming lesson and message of the book of Revelation is victory in Jesus. And so when you think about the concept of of victorious living because of Jesus. You think about the book of Revelation, and there's great stories in there, and you can get really bogged down in some of the symbolism. I think it's really unnecessary to get bogged down in all of that because the overwhelming message of the Scripture is having that uh, salvation and that victory through Jesus. But in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, it's one of the, the Scriptures we usually talk to about remaining faithful. In fact, when we teach our kids the song, right, the, Hear, believe, repent, confess, baptize in the water, rise up again, walk with Christ, live like you ought to. The scripture we usually talk about is Revelation chapter 2.10, isn't it, guys? That's the one we go to, right? Because it says right there, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. In fact, I think Mr. Doug used to do a song to that, be faithful, be faithful, and, and would concentrate and focus on this very principle in Acts chapter 2 that you must remain faithful unto death in order to obtain that crown of life. I love if you look at the, the concept of Revelation chapter 2, 3, and 4, really, and you look and you see example after example in chapters 2 and 3, I'm sorry, of, of churches that have faltered and have failed. 
And that's what you see is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. It's smack dab in the middle of the message to the church at Smyrna. And if you look at that whole passage of Scripture, they are being rebuked by Jesus. By the way, if your text is in red, that means Jesus is saying that more than likely. And so this is a prophecy given through John by Jesus the Lord Himself addressing what was going wrong with the church that met in Smyrna. It says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. By the way, who is that? That's Jesus. It says, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life. That's Jesus. So write a little note there in your Bible. That's Jesus talking. Jesus says this to the church at Smyrna. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. This is from Jesus Himself to the church saying, you be faithful unto death. I'll give you that crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. How great does that mesh and merge with what we've just been talking about, right? When you fall and when you falter, if you get entangled with the sins of the world, again, what happens? You're experiencing that second death. But Jesus is telling the church of Smyrna, you're faithful unto death. You have no worries at all about that second death because he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Jesus also, or the Hebrew writer also, uh, discusses the idea of living faithfully. So look with me real quick in the Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. And it's, a, again, a good passage of Scripture, again, that, that, that discusses and talks about uh, being faithful. And in fact, some of the points we make tonight, we're going to look at some of the passages in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, talking about what it means to be faithful. And uh, you see here, it says, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation. Oh, that's, I'm sorry, that's Revelation. Uh, chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confidence of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's hold fast that confidence. Let us remain faithful, is the same phraseology used in some other uh, translations there, with what we have learned, what we have believed, what we have gotten. Living faithful is absolutely essential. Real quickly, and I don't have a lot of time because I spent a lot more time on this first part than I had really intended, of course. Y'all know me, that, that happens quite often. But I wanted to kind of quickly go through 10 ways to live faithfully. And I'm going to go through these very quickly because we only have a few minutes left. The first bell is going to ring here in about two minutes according to my clock. But I want to quickly go through 10 ways to remain faithful because I think this is, needs to be a positive end as well as we think forward in our lives. Those of us who are Christians, how can we remain faithful unto our death on this earth? Those, of, uh, those who we love and those we want to teach and talk to, uh, what are some ways to remain faithful? Because, you know, we have this new life when we become a Christian, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We're told to set aside our old way of life. What is our new life supposed to be? What is involved in being faithful? And I found this list. Uh, I will give credit to where credit is due. Palm Beach Church of Christ, uh, Palm Beach Lakes Church of Christ had this on their website, and I thought it was very good. And uh, So I'm going to use these 10 points real quickly. First of all, living righteous or living faithful uh, is growing. It's growing. The Lord wants us to increase our knowledge, our faith, and our trust in Him. Second Peter chapter one verses five through eleven, and Second Peter chapter three verse eighteen. 
These are things that we are able to do by regularly studying God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, and praying, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. It is absolutely essential that we grow as Christians. If you are not growing as a Christian, the likelihood is, is that you're not being faithful in your walk with Jesus. Just to be blunt with you, that's the likelihood of that. I understand there may be some other exceptions, but if you are not growing spiritually, if you are not growing as an individual, if you're not growing with regard to your faith, if you're not growing closer to both God and maybe your spouse, then there may be something wrong with your faithfulness. Think about it. If we are faithful, we will be growing. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We don't have a choice if we really want to be faithful, but to grow. Second, faithfulness is worship. The Lord wants us to long to worship Him. John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus, it says God is is spirit and those who worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that whole conversation there in John chapter 4 with the woman there in Samaria deals with the concept of worship and how God wants us to worship Him. Jesus says there's going to be a time when we're not worshiping in a temple or tabernacle made with hands anymore. We're going to be worshiping the Lord God where we are because God wants us to worship Him. Acts chapter 17, as He's there on the the hill in Athens, He's talking to them about how God wants us to grope after Him. God wants us to be a part of Him. He wants to renew that same mentality that was in the Garden of Eden when He walked and talked with Adam and Eve there at the beginning. God wants us to worship Him. And that's what we do when we gather together either as a group or as a small individual or maybe by ourselves. And we worship God. We praise Him in our hearts. We intentionally praise Him, magnify Him, and and bring ourselves to His throne in worship. Especially as we think about on the first day of every week, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, our example we see in the early church, they gathered every first day to worship together, to partake of the communion together as they commune with each other and with God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 talks about us not forsaking the assembling of the saints as is the habit of some. If you are missing church services, it's possible your faithfulness is lacking. If your priorities, and we're going to get the priorities in just, maybe in a second, probably not, but if, if our priorities are skewed, there may be something wrong with our faithfulness, if we're not wanting to worship God, and it's not a joy, it's not something that we look forward to, then we might have a problem in our lives with regard to how faithful we're being. Thirdly, faithfulness is serving. Through love, serve one another. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. The Lord wants us to look beyond ourselves. You think about those greatest commands. First is to love God, right? Love God with our heart, soul, mind, strength. And then the second is liking to it, right? That's what he told that lawyer. Those lawyers always like to ask questions. He told that lawyer, he said, the second one's like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. God wants us to look for others to go beyond ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, as we think about not doing anything from uh, selfishness or vain conceit, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than the others. That's a huge problem in our society today. The selfie generation is going to be even worse, I'm going to tell you. When our children grow up and it's all about me, 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 We've got to make sure they understand that faithfulness to God is serving one another, finding opportunities to serve others, as Galatians 5.13 says, out of love and doing good to others, as Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says. And not just doing good to others, but especially, verse 10 there, it says, to the household of faith. 
We are to be each other's support system. We are to serve one another to make sure we are there together. Faithfulness, real quickly, is teaching. The Lord wants us to show others the way to heaven by teaching the gospel message. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, and Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Living a Christian life as disciples is important for us as we teach by our examples and answering the questions that they may have. We'll end on five. Faithfulness in Christian life is obedience. We can't cut corners. We can't disregard commandments. We can't disregard things that God has said for us to do merely because we don't like it. Faithfulness to God is obeying. The Lord wants us to conform our lives to His will by submitting to Him, as James 4, 7 talks about, and obeying His commandments. Made through 5 of the 10. Guys, thank you so much for your attention in this series. I encourage you, let others know what they need to do to be saved. That's what our gospel message is. We have been commanded to do it. It is not just a commandment. I think it should be something we should want to do because we want to love others. May God continue to bless you and the church here as we move forward together in all these things. Thank you all.